You're going to love this. Just love it. I think you will if you live in Baltimore or New Jersey. Good news for you guys today. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you from Pacifica Radio's 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. This is the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Glad you could join us today on KPFK. And, of course, coast-to-coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on iTunes, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, and now RadioOrNot.com and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. Welcome to the broadcast. We got a, uh, a lot to get to today. It has been that, boy, did we pick a great week to start broadcasting on a daily basis. Nothing but news since we have started. Nothing but breaking news since we started. So we've got uh, some big stories, some big developments today in both Baltimore and Bridgegate. You remember the uh, New Jersey uh, Bridgegate scandal with Chris Christie? Some big developments, some indictments in both cases So a lot going on. Also, concerning uh, Bernie Sanders, we've been talking about this week since he declared his his, uh, intention to run for the Democratic nomination for president in 2016 against Hillary Clinton. He made that announcement on Thursday, 24 hours later. He told the New York Post that uh, his campaign received a million and a half dollars in 24 hours with an average donation of just forty three dollars. Not bad, considering that's all uh, small money, small chump change going up against the uh, titan that is Hillary Clinton and her uh, corporate funders. Uh, That's good news. We spoke with um, who do we speak with on Thursday? Representative Thank Alan you. Grayson of Florida. Thank you. That's that's Desi Doyen, and she's our <laughs> producer for a reason. Uh, we spoke with Representative Alan Grayson on Thursday, and he talked about the fact that when he's run uh, for the U.S. House, he was the only one of all uh, of both Republicans and Democrats to receive the bulk of his donations in small do- donations instead of these great big uh, you know $10,000 checks from PACs and corporations and everybody else so maybe we'll see maybe Bernie Sanders is on a similar trajectory in his quest in his bid for the 2016 Democratic nomination for president of these United States we will see i'm sure we'll be following that story a little bit later today we're also going to have um if we have time for this man i hope we do uh, NRA the NRA the National Rifle Association has A new theory that Barack Obama now has a secret plan to ban all ammo in the U.S. So we will uh, reveal the details of that secret plan a little bit later in the show. 
And as well, speaking of stuff that right-wingers buy hook, line, and sinker, uh, we will have we'll be joined by the man who punked Rush Limbaugh and the rest of the right-wing media, media echo chamber concerning a phony story about how Harry Reid received his eye injury. Larry Pfeiffer, the man who completely made up a phony story about uh, Harry Reid being beaten up by his brother Larry, uh, he will be here to discuss how that all came about and how everyone in the right-wing media, including Rush Limbaugh, all fell for it hook, line, and sinker without bothering to check the facts, without bothering to even figure out who he was when he was telling him, uh, telling them this nonsense. So you can look forward to that. Uh, first, however, in Baltimore, some what I would say is uh, very good news for those calling for justice in the case of Freddie Gray and his uh, his death in uh, police custody in early April. Uh, on Friday, city uh, city state's attorney Marilyn Mosby says Freddie Gray received his critical injuries in Baltimore police custody. And she has charged all six officers involved in his death. This comes from Baltimore CBS affiliate WJZ. The state medical examiner's office turned over Gray's autopsy on Friday morning, a day after the police turned over their investigation into Gray's death. Ms. Mosby says that the findings of our comprehensive, thorough, and independent investigation coupled with the medical examiner's determination that Mr. Gray's death was homicide, which we received today, has led us to believe that we have probable cause to file criminal charges. She charged all six officers in the death of Gray and said that his arrest was illegal and that his death, in fact, was a homicide, according to the medical examiner's office. Um, this is uh, a big news, big development, a very positive development. Uh, Ms. Mosby said that um, Lieutenant Brian W. Rice, <clears throat> along with Officer Garrett Miller and Officer Edward Nero, were on bike patrol when they made eye contact with Gray. Gray ran from Rice, and Rice dispatched he was... Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, Rice dispatched. He was involved in a foot pursuit. Other officers then became involved. Gray eventually surrendered to Miller and Nero, and the officers handcuffed him behind his back. Gray asked for an inhaler because he, quote, could not breathe, but the officers did not give him medical attention. They found a knife clipped inside his pants pack pocket. The knife was not a switchblade, and it is lawful under Mar Maryland law, said the city state's attorney. The officers then restrained Gray in a leg lace, held him down until the transport arrived. While he flailed and screamed, the officers failed to find probable cause for Gray's arrest. When the police transport van arrived, he was placed into the wagon, but without a seatbelt. At no point was he secured by a seatbelt while, while in the wagon, contrary to a Baltimore Police Department general order, she says. Despite stopping for the purpose of checking on Mr. Gray's condition, at no point did he seek nor render any medical assistance for Mr. Gray. 
Gray was then removed from the wagon at Baker Street, placed uh, placed, uh, flex cuffs on his wrists and leg shackles on his ankles while they completed paperwork. He was then placed back into the wagon's floor, head first, stomach down, without a seatbelt. Following transport from Baker Street, Mr. Gray suffered a severe and critical neck injury as a result of being handcuffed, shackled by his feet, and unrestrained inside of the BPD wagon. This is just amazing. After leaving Baker Street, the officers stopped again to check on Gray's condition, but they did not seek medical attention for Gray. Again, the driver, Officer Goodson, drove off without buckling Gray into the van. This happened again and again and again for something like uh, 35 or 40 minutes without Freddie Gray receiving medical help despite his pleas to ask for uh, medical care and without being uh, restrained inside this van. Mosby said the officers are being charged with a number of counts of manslaughter, assault, and misconduct. One officer will even be charged with a count of murder. Mosby added to the people of Baltimore and the demonstrators across America, I heard your call for no justice, no peace. Your peace is sincerely needed as I work to deliver justice on behalf of this young man, she said. The officers could face up to 20 years in prison for the charges. The driver, Goodson, could face up to 63 years in prison. Uh, An amazing story. Incredible that this has happened uh, so fast and so completely that these charges were announced uh, after, you know, several weeks of hearing nothing about the case, that these charges were announced against six officers, that those six officers were immediately booked on Friday. I was pointed towards uh, Sean King, a justice columnist over at Daily Coast, by our friend uh, Nicole Sandler on the Twitters. Nicole uh, uh, is, is our, uh, runs our affiliate station uh, radio or not.com and she cited uh, some of Sean's tweets on this uh, he's been looking at all of the different reports uh, the information that's come out publicly um, and and puts together a few things that I think are important and so I'm gonna gonna share what uh, Sean King tweeted on Friday about this Uh, He said, at this point, we know that Freddie Gray was illegally assaulted and arrested without cause, critically injured. When Freddie Gray was placed into the back of his van, uh, into the back of this van, his arrest was illegal, but three policies were broken. A, Freddie was wrongly arrested without cause. B, it is policy to provide a medic to uh, to injured suspects. And C, it is policy to strap in suspects. None of those things happened. None of those things happened. When wrongly arrested, says Sean King, Freddie Gray was just two minutes away. Here we go. This is amazing. Well, he was just two minutes away from the Western Precinct. If taken there, he could have lived. Instead of being taken to the Western Precinct, officers began what's called a rough ride designed to injure Instead of driving four blocks, 90 seconds away to the Western Precinct, Freddie Gray was taken to point number three. Point number three is essentially because the police just admitted it after a video from a store exposed it. So we didn't even know, uh, you know, uh, until this, uh, uh, I guess it was a security camera. Is that what it was, Desi? Uh, that's that that's my understanding. The, the it was van? a store security yeah. camera that exposed the fact that the police did not mention that, yeah, they did stop there. Exactly. So now we have evidence that he was taken around the city 
for 30 or 40 minutes by the police in this van, uh, continuously checked for his medical condition, but then they throw him back in there in violation of Baltimore police regulations that he must be buckled up. And was taken on this rough ride and slammed around inside the van. Sean King goes on to say the Baltimore police took Freddie Gray to stop number four nearly two miles away to Dolphin and Druid Hill Avenue instead of taking Freddie Gray four blocks to the precinct. The police took Freddie Gray on a 35-minute rough ride alone before then picking up another suspect. After picking up the other man, the police then drove Freddie Gray directly to the Western Precinct. When they arrived at the precinct, Freddie Gray was in cardiac arrest. His spine was severed. They then tended first to the other man in the van. Remember, uh, he writes, it was 19 days ago when this arrest happened, and that entire time Baltimore police have denied any misconduct every single day. In addition to six officers uh, who were just charged, dozens of officers have assisted in this cover-up, writes Sean King of Daily Coast. Furthermore, use your imagination to explain the culture in which six officers thought this would all be okay. The whole system is sick, he says. The Baltimore police have paid $48 million in settlements for paralyzing black men in deliberate rough rides like that meted out allegedly to Freddie Gray, which led to his death, according to City State's attorney Marilyn Mosby on Friday. So uh, maybe some justice and then uh, and then maybe some peace in this case, Desi Doyen. That would be nice. Wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be. But, you know, as uh, President Obama noted and numerous other commentators yeah. have noted that until we actually deal with the root causes of what's going on in our cities between police, policing, communities, Mm-hmm. And the uh, the conflicts therein that we're not going to really see a whole lot of change until we address the lower the the, the deeper sociological issues that well, are at work there. Clearly, the root causes it's just a bad apple in the police department. <laughs> six of them, or a dozen of them, at least six now charged with homicide, uh, in this case. manslaughter, and murder in this in this case. This okay, one so. Case. So uh, some big, big developments there out of Baltimore, and now speaking of uh, big developments and indictments. We move to New Jersey, where on Friday there were three indictments and one guilty plea in Chris Christie's New Jersey Bridgegate scandal. Uh, This will not be good for Governor Chris Christie's already uh, long shot chances now of winning the 2016 Republican nomination for president. Uh, In fact, this could be the end of the line for him. I wrote about it uh, at bradblog.com. On Friday, and it's a story that I've been covering now for a long time. Uh, been, well, been covering Chris Christie for a long time since uh, I outed him as secretly speaking at a uh, at a Koch brothers. Uh, uh, what do we call those? A secret summit uh, in in Vail, Colorado, some years ago. After I was able to obtain audio tapes from inside the Koch brothers' secret summit. Ran that story at Mother Jones and at Bradblog.com if you want to check that out and what the uh, cocky Mr. Christie had to say uh, as he evaded the uh, New Jersey uh, media at the time, flew across the country, backslapped with the Koch brothers and their fellow billionaires, and then returned home to New, New Jersey without anyone being the wiser until I told on him. 
In any event, uh, he uh, his prospects for president for the presidential nominee nomination do not look good, and uh, they're getting a lot worse by the minute. David Wildstein, one of Christie's top staffers at the center of the notorious Bridgegate scandal, which shut down access lanes to the George Washington Bridge from the town of Fort Lee, New Jersey, beginning on the first day of school back in September of 2013, has now accepted a plea agreement pleading guilty to two federal charges of conspiracy to obtain fraud, uh, knowingly convert and intentionally misapply property of an organization receiving federal benefits, and a second count, conspiracy against civil rights. The punitive traffic shutdown occurred according to the federal indictment, and it's really amazing. It's got a lot of evidence about how this uh, came about. But according to the federal indictment, uh, it was done in retaliation against Fort Lee's Democratic Mayor Mark Sokolich and his refusal to endorse the Republican Chris Christie's uh, 2013 re-election bid for governor against Democratic State Senator Barbara Buono. This is what was initially suspected when the Bridgegate scandal first came to light. This is now what the uh, U.S. attorney is alleging happened. Uh, the U.S. attorney is alleging that this was purposely done to get back at that mayor, at that Democratic mayor, for refusing to endorse the Republican Chris Christie. The federal plea agreement uh, uh, charges that, quote, the object of the conspiracy was to misuse Port Authority property, that would be the George Washington Bridge, I, su I suppose, to facilitate and conceal the causing of traffic problems in Fort Lee as punishment of Mayor Sokolich. Just as the conspirators had intended, the lane and toll reductions both resulted in significant traffic in Fort Lee, both for motorists intending to access the GWB, uh, who's uh, uh, and for the residents of Fort Lee, whose streets were choked with traffic backing up from the local approach. The conspirators purposely ignored communications from Mayor Sokolich, including his pleas for help, requests for information, and repeated warnings about the increased risks to public safety, according to the indictment. Despite a call from a Port Authority employee, this is amazing, who, who was unaware of the scheme, warning that the traffic congestion had already caused problems for police and ambulance uh, who were responding to a missing child and a resident having a cardiac arrest. The conspirators, including David Wildstein, as Chris Christie's old chum and his appointee at the, at the Port Authority, the conspirators ignored all such concerns and they kept the bridge closure in place. Throughout the course of this conspiracy, the indictment reads, the conspirators concocted and promoted a sham story that reducing the number of lanes and toll booths accessible to the local approach was for a traffic study. The second count that Wildstein also pleads guilty to is in regard to the uh, conspiracy, quote, to injure and oppress the residents of Fort Lee in the free exercise and enjoyment of the rights and privileges secured to them by the Constitution and laws of the United States, namely the right to localized travel on public roadways free from restrictions unrelated to legitimate government objectives. Now, Wildstein, he's a top Port Authority appointee, as I said, a high school uh, friend of Chris Christie's. 
He was the one who executed the uh, traffic shutdown at the Port Authority after getting that infamous uh, email from uh, Bridget Ann Kelly, who was Chris Christie's deputy chief of staff. She wrote to him, quote, time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee. He said, got it. Then he went out pulled this stunt off, didn't tell anybody in, in, in advance, waited as long as possible to even tell the Port Authority. And according to the U.S. attorney, uh, to the indictment, he actually, they chose not to do it in August. They chose to do it in September on the first day of school because they thought it would have the maximum impact on the town of Fort Lee. Uh, Wildstein has clearly now he's been uh, cooperating with the uh, U.S. attorney's office tasked with uh, investigating this matter. Uh, And so he's singing, he's singing, and he still maintains that there is, quote, evidence that exists that shows that Chris Christie knew about the real reason for these traffic shutdowns. Now, that said, I read through the entire indictment and I saw no evidence of Chris Christie being involved in this uh, conspiracy. And it clearly was a conspiracy Uh, The other two uh, uh, top Christie officials charged today, Bridget Ann Kelly, as I said, the deputy uh, uh, chief of staff there, and Bill Baroni, an executive pointed to the uh, uh, Port Authority as well. Uh, They were both indicted. Uh, Bridget Ann Kelly maintains her innocence. Her uh, attorney uh, spoke, as she and her attorney spoke at a, a press conference on Friday claiming that she, quote, did not participate in any illegal activity. What that means exactly, I don't know. We'll find out. Chris Christie, for his part, says that, quote, he tweeted on Friday that today's charges make clear that what I've said from day one is true. So he feels this may exonerate him. Uh, I don't think it does. I don't think it looks real good when you've got three uh, top top uh, officials in your office who are indicted. But hey, Scott uh, Scott Walker has about uh, six or eight of his top officials who have been indicted. And the media seems to be ignoring uh, that kind of salient point. So who knows? Maybe he will escape. The difference here is we still need to find out who is going to sing. And we need to find out what David Wildstein is going to say about uh, about all of this and what that evidence is that shows that Chris Christie knew all about it. I just have two words for this. Yes. Plausible deniability. Yeah, you think that's what he's got? I think he probably does have something to that effect. They're not stupid people, or at least not completely stupid people, so I wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to make it look like he didn't know about it. Yeah, you know what? I read this indictment. These are stupid people. Okay. What they did was really, really stupid. So the question is, what will that evidence be that David Wildstein says that exists to show that Chris Christie knew all about it? This story, I suspect, will continue. Speaking of stupid people, we got to take a quick break here right now. We're going to come back with Larry Pfeiffer, who is not stupid, but he he was able to con and hoax Rush Limbaugh and John uh, Hinderocker of, of this right-wing Powerline blog and the folks at Breitbart and everywhere else into reporting an absolutely, completely utterly made up tale about how Harry Reid obtained uh, the injury that has uh, so far cost him his sight in his right eye. All of that and much more straight ahead right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Man, big show. Stay tuned.
Welcome back. This is your Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com on a busy news day. It's been a busy news year for former uh, Majority Leader Harry Reid, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, now Minority Leader Harry Reid. Uh, since New Year's Day, when it's a, an, an injury that he says happened in uh, over the holiday when he was using an exercise machine and a belt snapped or slipped and uh, hit him in the face, uh, a terrible injury to his right eye. He's still wearing sunglasses because of it. Well, of course, that story wasn't good enough for the right wing media. They needed to find a much, much sexier story, much better story. And so uh, the first one to sort of come out with this uh, so far nonsense, and I say it's nonsense because there was no evidence for it whatsoever. There was zero evidence. This guy, John Hinderocker from Powerline Blog, and you may not have ever heard of it. It's, uh, you know, not real, real well known unless you're in the right wing media bubble, the right wing blogging world, unless you live in Fox News land, the alternate reality that exists there. Uh, in that case, it's a it's a pretty popular blog, actually. And uh, so John Hinderocker, he's a guy, I met him years ago. I was uh, speaking at an event in Las Vegas, as a matter of fact, ironically enough here. Uh, and I was with all of these back in 2007, I think it was, with a bunch of other right-wingers, uh, right-wing bloggers, who were all very nice. Uh, they were crazy. They were out of their mind. They were living in their own world, but they were very nice. John Hinderocker was not. Uh, he was kind of a creep. He was a jerk. I'm just using that opportunity to mention that John Hinderocker is a jerk. He's also an irresponsible blogger and journalist who gives all of us a bad name. He ran with this story that he thought it was the mob who had hit Harry Reid, that they had made uh, that he had made promises to the to the mafia. He didn't deliver on him, so they sent him a clear message by beating the crap out of him and uh, knocking out his eye over over the holidays. That was what John Hinderocker originally reported. And, of course, it got tons and tons of traffic. Everyone on the right, you know, picked it up because that's what they do. <laughs> they just report what each other say. Never mind evidence. Evidence be damned. Uh, and that's, of course, how the whole, you know, the entire James, uh, James O'Keefe, Andrew Breitbart, uh, Acorn Pimps, Pimp Hoax came about. And they all bought it. And in that case, it actually bled into the mainstream media who bought it as well. Uh, you know, until I went out of my way to prove that it was all a hoax, that James O'Keefe never dressed up as a pimp in these acorn offices, yada, yada. But it, you know, managed to destroy a 40 year old civil rights uh, organization, community organization that helped people vote. In any case, it's usually the right that is hoaxing the rest of the media rather than getting hoaxed themselves. Well, in this case, the right, John Hinderacker, was, was hoaxing himself by talking about this mafia thing. And then this guy, who goes by the name of Easton Elliott, supposedly, read what John Hinderacker had, read, uh, had written and said, no, no, that wasn't it. It was something else entirely. And he called John Hinderacker and he said, uh, I was at an AA meeting where a guy showed up. A guy named Larry was sh showed up on New Year's Day. His hand was bloody. He had just been in a fight. And then weeks later, I figured out who this Larry was when he was arrested in the newspapers. It was Larry Reed, Harry Reed's brother. And apparently they put two and two together and realized, oh, Larry Reed must have punched his brother. It was a family fight. Well, 
This guy, Easton Elliott, told this story to John Hinderocker. Hinderocker uh, bought it hook, line, and sinker, contacted his friend Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh went on the air to his 15 million listeners and for at least 12 and a half minutes reported this story as if it had anything to do with reality. 12 and a half minutes to millions and millions of people. Here's a short clip from Rush Limbaugh talking about what happened According to this guy, Easton Elliott, uh, concerning uh, Harry Reid and his brother Larry. Now, this appearance by this guy named Larry at the AA meeting in Henderson, Nevada, was memorable as references to fighting bloody clothes and so on are extraordinary in that group. It's not something that happens every AA meeting. And the guy we were talking to, Easton Elliott, he didn't think much more about this guy, this guy Larry, until several weeks later when he saw a newspaper story about Larry Reed, Dingy Harry's brother, being arrested for DUI and assaulting a highway patrolman. And Easton Elliott, again the guy talking to John Hindrocker and me, immediately recognized this Larry Reed as the same Larry who'd come to their AA meeting weeks previous, who was drunk, who was bloody, who had a swollen left fist, and claimed he had been in a fight with a family member and was worried the Secret Service was going to follow him. And then everybody said, whoa, wait a minute. The guy who came in here who we thought was a kook is Harry Reid's brother. Bum, bum, bum. That's who it is. Rush goes on for 12 and a half minutes about that uh, in just that one segment alone. As it turns out, it's all stuff and nonsense. Joining me now is Easton Elliott, otherwise known as Larry Pfeiffer, a 50-year-old former consultant in the nightclub and inter entertainment industry from Las Vegas, who says he fabricated the entire story after becoming appalled that right-wing political blogger John Hinderocker published a rumor that Reed's injuries stemmed from an assault by the mafia enforcers. Uh, it's an amazing story. We've seen these uh, right-wingers uh, hoaxing the rest of the media, and now it looks like they have been uh, hoaxed here. Larry Pfeiffer, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me, Brad. I appreciate it. And you're right. Um, and I'm new to this. I am a <laughs> non-political guy who knew I have never heard of Breebart. I never heard of Powerline. I never listened to Rush Limbaugh's show. I've heard of him. Yeah. But all that changed on April 3rd. Well, and I believe you because it's actually Breitbart, not Breitbart. So I believe you uh, uh, are not familiar with this political world. Before we get into the details of, of this story, uh, let me ask you, Larry, how do I know you're not hoaxing me now? Uh, and I should note, Las Vegas Sun, when they covered your story, they noted that you're a, a convicted felon who was sentenced to prison uh, for financial crimes in the early 90s. Um how do I know I'm not part of your latest hoax, Larry? Well, Brad, you really don't. But this is, you know, when I gave the original mm -hmm. story to Hinderocker, they did no vetting whatsoever. He didn't even know my real name. He did not know my phone number. There was absolutely no corroboration of you know, the simple, where was the AA meeting at? Mm -hmm. Is there anyone to back this up? No. Finally, you know, after um, Rush Limbaugh, that preposterous pachyderm, <laughs> went on his show and told the story because I had spoken to him, too, personally on yeah. the phone. And I went to places. I, went, I called CNN. I talked to one of their top producers. 
I said, hey, this whole thing was a hoax. I sent them an email, too. Uh -huh. Nothing to do with it. I kept email records. When I finally went to the Sun, they looked at my ID. Brian Greenspun, who's the owner of the Sun, we had mutual uh, friends, acquaintances. They checked that out. They looked at all the emails. I had actual proof it, that all this happened. And the proof of your conversations with uh, with with uh, Hinderocker and and Limbaugh and so forth. Hinderocker, yeah. Limbaugh, and uh, Mike Leahy from Breebart. I mean, he's just egregious what he did. And so, did they even know? You say they didn't know your real name. Did they know that you were using an alias? In other words, did you tell them you were using an alias to protect yourself, or or, or did you just yeah. give them your name and they said, "Yeah, that sounds no. good." When I call them, I said yeah. I'm gonna, I'm using the name Easton Elliott. Um, I have a side business where I'm a motivational speaker and life coach for people in recovery, and that's the name that I use. And I told John Hindrocker that I didn't want to give my real name because I was afraid of the Democrats and Harry Reid playing into this whole story. And what had happened, though, is on this Lincoln page I set up under Easton Elliott, there was an old company I put on there that had my real name, Lawrence Pfeiffer. So he looked that up and found out my real name, but he, we never spoke about it. He never vetted me at all, you know, like the Las Vegas Sun. Mm -hmm. They looked up my real name. They looked up articles about me, pictures from events and things I had done. They did no vetting whatsoever. And so, just to be clear, your, your business name, do you use the name Easton Elliott uh, for your motivational uh, speaking uh, business? Yes, I do. Okay. So, it wasn't until they looked into it and discovered that uh, Larry, Fe the, until the uh, media, at uh, the real media, I guess, Las Vegas Sun, looked at it and found out who you were and so forth, and were able to verify no, I, I, your I, 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 told, I came in there and said, this is who I am. Ah, okay. The Easton Elliott and the motivational speaking, I go to rehabs and speak and 12-step meetings. So it's not out there in the public. I don't have a website for it. Right. You okay. Know, it, 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 it's, so you know, when I went to, to Brian Greenspun, I told him what my real name was. I didn't say, hey, I, I'm afraid of this. I, right. I wanted to expose the whole thing. I even offered to, um, for CNN, the same thing. There's other media outlets I went to. Nobody wanted anything to do with the story once it was coming out that it was a hoax. And so why did this uh, touch off such a nerve with you that you would uh, go to such lengths to create such a hoax? I mean, y you must have known enough about the uh, political lay of the land here to know to go to Powerline and, and Hinderocker that he would run this. And by the way, I've had uh, dealings with him in the past, and you know, I deal with a lot of right-wingers. I've, I've spoken at events with them, and they're all decent, very nice people. Hinderocker actually wasn't. He was kind of a creep uh, when I met him years ago. But why did you think, oh, let me go to Hinderocker uh, about this particular story? Did you just happen to read his nonsense about the, the mafia beating up Harry Reid on, on New Year's Day? Yes, I was on my laptop, and I was looking through the day's news, and mm -hmm. I saw a thing about the mafia. And I'm interested in the mafia and cheerleaders and horses and homeless vets. So I looked at the article, and the article said that Harry Reid was beaten up by the mafia. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, is that really true? And I'm reading this thing, and I'm the guy's article. He says, from a well-connected source in Las Vegas, I find this out. So he's got no corroboration. I had never heard of this guy before or Powerline. Right. Seriously, I wouldn't waste my time. I have better <laughs> things to do. Right. You know, like watch the TV show Dallas. So, Anything. Well, uh, so you see uh, these claims that he's making, and if anybody reads the, those stories uh, from Hinderocker, you see he's got no evidence whatsoever. He just says, basically, he says, oh, Harry Reid 
couldn't have possibly been hurt uh, by this story. It couldn't have been an exercise belt that slipped. Uh, it must have been something else. There's rumors about him and the mafia. Therefore, it's very likely that this was done by the mafia. Uh, you know, there's no evidence. There's no, not even any sources, I, I don't think, who, you know, anonymous sources. It's, no, he quoted, he yeah. said, a well-connected friend. Okay. okay. And this is, you know, I, of course, had heard about the Harry Reid injury, uh-huh. but it wasn't part of my life, man was not part of my life. And when I read the story, I found it just so, I was so outraged that, number one, and this has nothing to do with Harry Reid or anything, that someone would say someone's associated with the mafia. I've been in Vegas for 20 years. I'm from Chicago. And if any, and my friends, hotel owners, club owners, restaurant owners, people in all types of businesses, anybody who's ever come around that even hints that they're like mafia or anything, which is very rarely, they're persona non grata. And in this town, if you were to be labeled, say, as a friend of the mafia, you would be an outcast. No one would do business with you, and no one would want anything to do with your family. So I, I, I thought it was just outrageous that this guy would say this. It's just, and, and, I, thought it was, I thought it was a joke, really. And I, I saw the article. Right. I looked him up at Powerline and he had his phone number. I really thought it was a joke. And so you just called him up. You called up Hinderocker out of the blue, and you say, uh, "Hey, I, I can tell you what really happened to Harry Reid. It wasn't the mafia. It was uh, this story of his brother. It was his brother who beat him up. Is that just how it happened? Cold, or did you sit around and think about this for a few days on how to pull off this elaborate hoax? Because you had a lot of details in there that you know sounded quite plausible." Uh, did you did you cons- think about this, or did you just do this uh, on a lark out of the blue once you read the article, saw his phone number, and, and called him up and made this thing up, Larry Pfeiffer? Larry Pfeiffer says, this was completely off the cuff. When I called him and left him a message, I just wanted to uh, reach him and say, hey, man, how dare you do this? Right. This is a jo- and, and by that time, I found out it wasn't a joke because it's all over the Internet. He emailed me back. I called him back. He, he says... Why, do you know what happened? I go, yeah, I know what happened. Simultaneously, I'm on my laptop, and I see a story about Harry Reid's brother, Larry, being arrested for a DUI and mm-hmm. for punching a state trooper. And I said, yeah, his brother did it. This is completely off the cuff. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, make up the most preposterous thing you can think of, and let's <laughs> see what this guy does. Like, at this point, I'm not thinking, there's no way he's going to print anything I'm saying. So I said, I was at an AA meeting on New Year's Eve. I was at home on New Year's Eve. I was never at such meeting. I say a guy came in. He was drunk. He had blood on his shirt. His left hand was swollen. How I got the left hand detail is I'm reading the rest report, and the, uh, they said something about his left hand and the trooper being, uh, or the, the trooper having injuries on the right side of his face. So I put two and two together. Not, not the trooper. You mean Harry? Uh, the trooper saying that Harry Reed had uh, uh, Larry, Larry, Larry Reed. Oh, no, I see. No, no, no. Larry, Harry uh, Reed has okay. a brother named Larry. Right, right. Okay. Okay. And in, like, February, way after Harry Reid's accident, right. he gets arrested right. in Boulder City for a DUI, and he's out parked in the middle of a meeting. The trooper comes up, and he punches the trooper in the face twice. Uh, I see. The trooper, <laughs> the trooper sustained injuries to the right side of his face. So if, usually if you're sitting in the car, right side would mean you punch him with your left hand. Right. All right? <clears throat> and in the thing it said he had a blackout. Literally, I'm telling this guy the story, Hindrocker, while I'm looking at this thing online. And I say, the guy came in, he's agitated, he's obviously drunk, you know, and, and we had a potluck uh, dinner that night. Mm-hmm. I'm just adding detail after detail. This guy is eating it up. 
he's like, that sounds so real. That sounds what, like really happened. And, I, and I'm, I'm like, really? <laughs> he goes, yeah. I said, the guy came in, and he came in a meeting to share, who, and he's drunk, he's got blood on his shirt, and he says, my name's Larry, I have a, uh, a drinking problem, and I just got in a fight with a family member. I had a blackout, and when I woke from the blackout, I was rolling around on the ground with this family member, and I'm afraid the Secret Service or the authorities are coming to get me. And Hinderocker is just like, that's the story. He's like, this is what happened. He goes, and he asked me, can, can you tell me where the AA meeting is? I said, no, because I don't want to be unfair to people who are trying to get sober. Right. There was no AA meeting. He says, did he ever mention the name Harry? And I said, no. And I knew just thinking, if I had said that, that story would have, like, I would have never been able to go back. Right. So I'm thinking all this at that time. He says, can you get anyone to corroborate the story? And I say, well, there was a guy there that night, and he called Channel 8 to give him a story, and they said they wanted nothing to do with it. But I said, he won't talk to anybody. He's scared. Next and, thing I know. And that's one of the things, by the way, that that uh, there was a detail that Rush Limbaugh, I guess, repeated on his show, that uh, somebody took this story to, to Channel 8, but they were uh, you know, too much in bed with the liberal media. They wouldn't run this story, but, uh, but he would on the Rush Limbaugh program for 15 million listeners or what, whatever the hell he's got now. Okay, continue. I'm, t- yeah. I'm telling him everything. Like, really, I, I wish he had been like a woman I was talking to who would really appreciate everything I was saying and, you know, and marry me. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you. It, it was just unbelievable. Believable to me. The next thing I know, yeah. he's talking about, um, and in the original article where I saw the mafia thing, they had mentioned Rush Limbaugh. This was like a, an article leading to his article right. that included the whole thing. And it said Rush Limbaugh has 15 million uh, listeners. Yeah. He says Rush Limbaugh on it, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm pissed off about the mafia story. If he's actually going to do this story, and he's like, I think we can get this on Rush Limbaugh. And I'm thinking, 15 million uh, listeners, I can go on the Rush Limbaugh show within the next day, day and a half, two days, tell the story, and at the end say it's a hoax. And I'll have a huge audience and make my point. And you were planning to say it live on air. Tell the whole story, and then at the end, live with Rush, say, by the way, uh, psych, I, was, uh, I made the whole thing up? Yes, and I knew that you know there's a delay, so I would t- I, I, it would you know according to Hindrocker to be a phone-in thing because mm-hmm. Rush doesn't really have guests, right? You know, da 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 da. So I would you know I would tape it you know on my phone, not the phone, the actual phone call. I guess because he would never let let the end happen. So next thing I know, he's like, we're talking to Rush Limbaugh tomorrow, and I have emails for all of this too. So the next day we speak to Rush Limbaugh, and is John, myself, and Rush, and we're on the phone, and I start telling Rush the story. And Rush is just like, uh, I, you know, I say, was at the, there was an AA meeting. There was a potluck supper, and I swear he goes, potluck supper? <laughs> I mean, it, it really, I mean, ugh. Well, uh, okay. And, uh, but how long was it, uh, Larry, between the time that you originally told uh, 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 Hinderocker about this tale, this made-up tale, and when A day had- and a half. Spoke, I spoke to Rush. Yeah. A, a day and a half later. Okay. Okay. It's it's not out yet. Okay. Because I really I I didn't want it just to go out in John Hinderocker's thing because he's too small. Do you know what I mean? Uh, well, I, you, know, I, you know what I do. But let me clarify, Larry. It, he is small, but uh, he's quite huge in the right wing media, and you know they they have this very. 
uh, insular world they've now created for themselves over the past decade where they live in, you've, you know, people have referred to it as a bubble. But this right wing media, uh, Hinderocker and Powerline is actually very powerful. Most people in the country have never heard of them. But when Hinderocker writes something over there, the rest of the right wing media picks it up. Breitbart.com picks it up. Redstate.com picks it up. Rush Limbaugh and all of the Fox News, all of these guys uh, pick it up. So even though it's kind of small, as you've seen, uh, you know, one of these small right wingers, when they come out with a story like this, they all march in line. They all report this crap. None of them, it seems, bother to uh, to either look into the details to find out if it's accurate or when there's indications that it's not accurate, they just look the other way. That's what they did with the entire, uh, you know, James O'Keefe and the Acorn Pimp hoax that we outed at uh, Bradblog.com some years ago. There was all of this information showing that it was absolutely stuff and nonsense. This guy never wore a pimp suit uh, in the Acorn offices. None of these uh, Acorn uh, workers actually did anything uh, illegal, and yet. They ignore that part and they go with the part that seems to please them. That's the way it seems to work, at least on the right, in this very closed, uh, closed loop they have over there. So, yes, but once, yeah. once again, I had no idea about this. Right. I just saw a thing that said Powerline, and it, was, it said blog, but to me it looked like a newspaper. I had never heard of it, and it's not that I'm so uh, media mm-hmm. uh, savvy. That's that's not and like the O'Keefe guy you just spoke about. I just learned about him like two days ago. Okay. Okay. So the whole thing with Hinderocker and on the phone with Rush because this is really important. They're, they're they're masqueraders of media. When I'm talking to Rush and telling him the story, and John's on the phone too, mm-hmm. I'm going from A to Z with it, and they ask me the same four questions. I'm um, three questions at least four times each. Can you corroborate? Did he ever mention the name Harry? Mm-hmm. And tell, can you tell us where the meeting is? I could answer none of those. And here's where it gets really, you know, a little um, strange. When I first started talking to Rush, I said, hey, have you ever, I said, you know, this guy came into a 12-step meeting, AA, he was drunk and bloody. And then I said, hey, Rush, have you ever been to a 12-step meeting? He goes, hundreds, if not thousands. And I really thought at that point he would hang up. Because, Brad, you could talk to 10 million people who've been to a 12-step meeting. And I've been in 12-step means in Compton uh-huh. and in Beverly Hills, anywhere. There is no way you would let someone into a meeting where they share who is drunk or bloody. Right. It doesn't happen. It goes against the very tenant. They would, you know, if someone came in drunk, that someone would go outside with them and talk to them and try to get them home, but they would never be allowed in the meeting. And I thought for sure Rush would be like, this story is bogus. Well, they didn't want it to uh, be bogus. They wanted it to be true. They asked you all the right questions, but when you said when you could not answer them, they didn't care, which begs the question of you know why they're asking you that in the first place. Uh, Larry Fiverr, I've got just a few minutes left here. Um, you had apologized. You said, I would really like to apologize to Harry Reid and his brother. What I did was expletive up. I can't uh, repeat that word on air. Uh, Harry Reid responded to that apology uh, earlier this week. I think it was on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. He said, uh, what this guy proved to me is that journalism doesn't exist, Harry Reid told Reuters. I wish I'd meet this guy and pat him on the back. Uh, I don't see why he should apologize, Reed said. I'm glad at what he did. It shows how foolish journalism is as we know it. 
It's evaporating, and that's too bad. Have you heard from Harry Reid's office uh, personally yet, from either him or, or anybody in the office? Uh, or you've or you've only seen those uh, those quotes where he says no, no I've need spoken, to apologize. I've spoken to someone in his office, and uh-huh. I'm going to I'm going to get together with him. And when I apologize, when I called his office to apologize, I was apologizing for any harm I might have caused Harry or his brother Larry, who might need help in some way. I was not apologizing. For what I did. I have absolutely no regrets for what I did. What I did was right. I saw something morally and ethically wrong. And, you know, the Rush Limbaugh thing here, he's being let off the hook easily. You know, I'm talking to this guy for 20 or 25 minutes. He's getting no corroboration. He goes, I believe you. And I say, when am I going to be on your show then, Rush? And do this. He goes, I'm going to sit on this. I have a plan for this. Okay? Yeah. He is, and, and again, it's, they have no idea who I am. What, what was his plan? He was going to wait until the election uh, in 2016? What no, was what he waited for was, like, you know, that was on April 1st. He waited two weeks, and then he put it on his show. And what I was getting from Hinterocker was, you know, Rush would talk about it, you know, the, the, uh-huh. the, 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 the Joker journalist that he is, and I would call in and comment on it. Uh-huh. And that never happened. And Hinterocker, this is the most egregious part of it, in which the Sun really picked on the Huff- Huffington Post. Hinderocker, after the phone call with uh, Limbaugh, call, I call him because he's in my number. Yeah. He says, I want to run the story tomorrow, which is uh, Thursday. I say, i got to think about this. I'm having some second thoughts here. He says, no, let's, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. He, he, he says, if we run it on Thursday, rush. He goes, I can't guarantee it, but I think he'll use it on Friday. And I have this in email also. I say, give me a day. He puts it out on Friday the 3rd. He starts emailing me on the 4th, 5th, and 6th. Can I give him any cooperation? <laughs> Can someone call him? And I'm like, what do you need cooperation for? You already ran the story. Breitbart News. This is Michael Mike Leahy right. for Breitbart. Breitbart, yeah. Yeah, he, um, Hinderocker turned me on to him. Well, because he probably saw the story and, uh, you know, Hinderocker ran it and other media outlets contacted him and said, hey, do you have any uh, corroboration here? And then he was started to panic and realized, no, I actually got nothing. Let me go back to Easton Elliott and find out if he's uh, if he's got anything. Uh, Larry, I got to get out here before I go very quickly. However, I just want to confirm one more time. I'm not going to ask you for corroboration, but I want to are. are You have never worked for a Democratic Party, Republican Party, uh, political campaigns, Harry Reid, any of that? Have you had any involvement of that sort with with any sort of political organizations? Brad, I've never voted in my life, okay? No political anything. (laughs) I love my country. Let me say this, too. I'm starting a thing, and it's called Uh cleanupthemedia.com. It's a site where people can stand up against this BS media and, you know, you just look at Rush Limbaugh. Seriously, this guy was an addict who got preferential treatment, all right? Part of his addiction is lying and being miserable and hatred. Right. That is part of it. This guy needs to be held accountable. The guy from Breedbart, that's a really important part of the story, Brad. He said he would never print the story. I have it in email. He said, because I couldn't corroborate it, he said, I'm a real journalist. He called me a bunch of names on the phone. And as soon as Rush said it, he printed it. So he, yeah, because basically it's then it's not him running with it; it's him reporting what it is that Rush Limbaugh said. Uh, what did he call? You said he called you a bunch of names. Yeah, well, when I I called him on the fourth, you know, yeah. he got a hold of Hinderocker, and we were talking nice for two minutes. He lives in Nashville. Then he says, "Tell me where the A meeting was." I said, "I can't." He goes, "Get someone to corroborate this." I I can't. He goes, "You useless piece of." He's like, "I am a real journalist." He goes, "You can't do anything for me." And I was like, "Whatever turns you on." 
And that was it. And then he emailed me a couple more times asking for more information. And as soon as he ran it on, after Rush said it, again he contacted me and said through email, can you please collaborate or give me more facts? And I said, you already ran the story. And they you didn't already care. Ran the story. And, yeah, and he called, he goes, you're a phony. And I said, who's the phony? Wow. You said you would never run a story without collaboration, and now you did. Who's the phony? And his and name? Again, yeah, and his, this was the writer at Breitbart uh, News. Uh, what was his name? Yeah, and all yeah. from the preposterous Pachyderm Rush Limbaugh, even though this guy <laughs> claims he's only a talk show host, yeah. okay? Yeah. He heard that. I understand that he is about opinion. He heard that story right from my mouth, Brad. He didn't hear it second or third hand. Right. He asked the pertinent questions. Any collaboration? Absolutely none. The the lie was just too good for them to ignore. Larry Pfeiffer, uh, you're a troublemaker, uh, but the the kind I like. So uh, thank you, Larry. Uh, Not so much for the hoax, but as much as coming out and exposing the real hoax, which seems to be these uh, right wing uh, uh, media folks. Larry, great talking to you. Can you mention the website one more time? Clean up the clean up the media dot com, please. Everybody stand up. There you go. Cleanupthemedia.com. Larry Pfeiffer, thank you very much. Stay safe out there in Vegas and and stay away from those right-wingers. They're nothing but trouble. Right on. I so appreciate it, Brad. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you. Okay, we got to take a quick break. I am running late. I am Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see Welcome back to the broadcast. The world lost R&B soul singer Ben E. King Best known for the classic song Stand By Me He has died at the age of 76 King started his career in the late 50s with the drifters with hits like there goes my baby save the last dance for me after going solo he hit the u.s top five with stand by me in 1961 and returned to the charts in the 1980s including a three-week spell at number one in the uk following stand by me's use in the film of the same name and a tv advertisement His other hits included Spanish Harlem, Amor, Don't Play That Song, You Lied, and Supernatural Thing, Part 1. The singer died on Thursday, his publicist Phil Brown said. He reportedly suffered from coronary problems at the time of his death. King is survived by his wife of 51 years, Betty. Okay. He will be missed. We will have, uh, we've got just a minute or two here because I ran late with uh, Larry Pfeiffer and his, uh, what did he say? They're, they're masqueraders of media. Yeah, that was a very entertaining tale and very revealing <laughs> too. It, it was indeed. Uh, I, don't, and I don't even know if I have time now for this uh, new uh, National Rifle Association conspiracy theory. I'll try. Uh, they are, are their, their vice president, Wayne LaPierre, and I've long called these guys, they support terrorism. That's the NRA for you. Anybody who has a problem with that, write me a letter if you like uh, at uh, bradcast at bradblog.com. I can go into details another time. 
But in any event, now he's out there lying to his uh, to his suckers that, uh, quote, President Barack Obama is setting the table to ban your ammunition, all of it. LaPierre claimed that the remaining two years of Obama's term pose the greatest threat ever to the Second Amendment and our freedom. I think I've got to get out. Otherwise, I would uh, tell you uh, exactly how it is that Barack Obama is going to be coming for your ammunition. That will have to wait until the next thrilling episode of the broadcast. It won't be long, but until then, guard your ammunition because Barack Obama may be coming for it. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and of course to my guest today, Larry Pfeiffer of cleanupthemedia.com. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. You can find me on the Twitters at The Brad Blog. Oh, and at Facebook on The Brad Blog. And of course, at bradblog.com. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.